This podcast is sponsored by RMA Model Validation Consortium. The need for model risk management expertise is critical and hard to find. The Model Validation Consortium offers a full suite of model governance services to RMA member institutions, including model risk management program design, model development, documentation, and validation. Turn to RMA Model Validation Consortium to support your institution with high quality model validation services at a competitive price point. Learn more at rmahq.org. Hi, I'm Stephen Krasowski, Communications Manager at RMA. Today I'm joined by John Soviet, President of Dynamic Economic Strategy and a former Managing Director and Chief Economist for Wells Fargo Securities to discuss the current and future state of the economy. John, thanks for joining us. Sure, Stephen. So, John, to start, can you just give a brief overview of where we are today regarding the U.S. economy, uh, specifically in credit, and uh, where you see us heading into the beginning of 2022? Well, as far as credit goes, we traditionally benchmark certain uh, economic series as measures of credit in the U.S. economy. Uh, the first, uh, more on the corporate side, we look at high yield spreads and we look at double A spreads. So high yield investment grade spreads relative to treasuries. And what we're seeing is the spreads still remain remarkably low. And in fact, um, they're, uh, for the high yield, it's actually down from a month ago. So um, that sense of credit as it is being priced in the marketplace remains pretty positive. On the banking side, we tend to look at bank spreads over uh, their cost of funds, and we tend to look at delinquency rates. And when we look at um, single family residential delinquency rates, those are remarkably low. Um, there haven't been a problem there. Bank loan delinquency rates remain low, and spreads remain modest compared to the last uh, six months to a year. So what we're seeing as far as credit goes is that at least in the private sector, uh, the credit numbers look pretty good, Stephen. Great, John. Can you talk a little bit about the recent issue we've had with the debt ceiling and where we currently stand with it? Yeah, I think as, as our listeners know, the debt ceiling issue comes up uh, every year and a half or two years, and it's been doing so for you know, a good 10, 15, 20 years now, ever since the uh, 1994 standoff. Um, that we had with respect to Congress and the president. When we look at the debt ceiling, the very simple story is we've already spent the money. So the question is, are we now going to increase the debt ceiling for Treasury or to allow Treasury to issue the debt going forward? We have learned two things from the most recent um, 2014-2015 period. Uh, where we really did have a, a debt ceiling scared. Two things happened, Stephen. One, um, the dollar actually appreciates in value because foreign investors really hone into the dollar. And second, short-term interest rates rise pretty dramatically. Uh, so that when we ever get close to this debt ceiling issue, there's a, there's a huge demand for liquidity, especially in the short term, and the ability to own treasury debt that will in fact get paid uh, in the short term. John, what could happen if the U.S. were to default on its obligations? Well, as a matter of fact, Stephen, we have effectively defaulted twice on our obligations. 
once under Franklin Delano Roosevelt, when we got off the gold standard uh, and again, repaid people in, in greenbacks rather than actually in gold. And then second, when we got off the gold exchange standard under Richard Nixon. Now, under Richard Nixon, that's a more relevant example because we did have global capital markets. And what we saw there was a pickup in US inflation and a depreciation in the US dollar. So what we can expect if we ever did default is our interest rates would go up and our exchange rate would decline. Um, so that's the way it probably will turn out if we ever did default again. John, how should investors act in advance of a default? I think there's there's a sense, Stephen, that um, in advance of a possible default, um, there is a rush for short-term treasury securities because probably, Stephen, what we've seen in the past once again is that longer-term interest rates move up and those are capital losses for longer-term investors. And again, what we expect to see, um, and, and you saw a little bit of this in 2014 and 2015, is, is believe it or not, Stephen, a rush towards the Japanese yen as a more secure currency relative to the US dollar. Um, so it also happened with respect to the Swiss franc. So it's an odd situation, Stephen, that sometimes um, when you're approaching that default or there's a possibility of default, people will actually leave the US dollar and look for Japanese yen and Swiss francs. Great. John, what can banks do now to prepare for the possibility of the US to default? Yeah, I, I think uh, once again, the diversification of the portfolio and particularly a shorter term uh, exposure in terms of treasury debt is probably the way to go. What is the impact of supply and demand on sovereign debt markets, John? Huge. Uh, there's no way of getting around it here. Um, when we look at the increase in the supply of any country's debt uh, relative to the demand for that debt, generally interest rates tend to rise in that currency. So uh, what we've seen, for example, and many, I think our listeners are pretty familiar with this, when you've got to the sovereign debt markets of Italy or Spain or Greece, and it was pretty clear that those countries would not be able to make their obligations without help from the European Central Bank, then the supply of that debt clearly exceeded the demand and those interest rates rose pretty dramatically. You can uh, easily get some graphs um, to illustrate that overall. So um, supply and demand is absolutely essential. And Stephen, it's a little bit challenging here too for people to remember that sometimes the supply of that debt, when it has to be refinanced, and so there's a refinancing risk, can clearly exceed the investor expectations if economic growth slows. So when economic growth slowed in Greece, for example, relative to the amount of debt they had outstanding, clearly investors said, no, we don't want a part of that because you don't have the growth to be able to pay that debt. Um, so it's, again, a kind of a fascinating situation. It's a very dynamic situation, Stephen. So, John, to wrap up, can you talk a little bit about credit allocation and policy risk in the space? Yeah, I, I think right now what you have to be concerned is the Fed says it's tapering its portfolio. 
and particularly tapering in the mortgage-backed securities. Now, now this is a situation where the central bank essentially is allocating additional credit to the housing market going forward. To the extent that the Fed cuts that mortgage-backed security purchases, there's going to be less liquidity going to the housing market. And I think, uh, you know, for institutions that lend in that market, for builders who are putting up structures in that market, they have to be very aware there might be uh, some negative consequences for the Fed reducing its portfolio, its mortgage-backed portfolio. John, this has been very informative. Thanks again for joining us today. Thanks again, Stephen, for asking.